0: Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to Muciefirchurch or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page Muncie dot com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, many of you know, I, I did not I did not grow up in the church, and that was definitely uh, true of me. I think in some ways I was, uh, my parents and other adults responsible for me, their their worst nightmare. Um, I I didn't grow up in the church and I started, I had friends who went to church and they started to invite me around 14, 15 years old and and they would always invite me to uh, this really odd, unique event called a lock-in. You know what I'm talking about? It is a youth pastor or youth workers' nightmare. I mean, it really is. It's this terrible, terrible event that we should never have ever. Um, but uh, it's, if you don't know what a lock-in is, is where you stay up all night. You, you get a bunch of teenagers in a building or in a in a space, guys and girls all mixed together, and it's usually more teens than there are adults. And it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. And and uh, we would go to lock-ins. There was a church literally two blocks from my, my parents' house. And, and a buddy of mine always would invite us to lock-ins there. And this church was massive. It was three stories. There was a basement that was literally the entire, like, entire size of the church. The basement was you know, just massive. And, and then they had the main floor with the sanctuary. And, and then they had a balcony. And there were so many little places to hide in this building and I think the adult workers it was like their whole job from the time the lock-in started till it ended was to make sure nobody got pregnant I'm sorry that may be a little much but i I think that's what they were trying to do I think that was their whole goal nobody pregnant nobody killed nobody falls off the balcony those were like those were the things you know and there was always this game that we would play at every lock-in some of you might even be familiar with this game a game called sardines. You know, some fans right here. They were trouble. Did you raise your hand when I asked about making trouble? Okay, just making sure, because usually the people that loved sardines were the kids that were trying to make trouble. You know, and and if you don't know what sardines is, the way it works is it's basically hide and seek in reverse. And so you send out one person to go and hide, and everybody else then goes and looks for them. And the idea is the whole goal of this game is to simply have as few people find you as possible. That's the goal. And when you are found, if you are the one that got chosen to hide, you go and hide. The idea is to get everybody else to hide there with you. And so you wanted to find a place that would fit, you know, however many people as you could possibly fit, which again is a recipe for disaster. You know, you got it's just it's just not good. You, you use your imagination, um, you know, it. it it was never a good thing. But I think this idea, this sardines, the goal to have as few people as find you as possible, has often become the church's approach to reaching people who are lost. That's our goal. Our goal, or our, our strategy, I should say, our strategy has been for evangelism, for reaching lost people, and for attempting to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28 was to simply. Hide and wait. Hide and wait. That's our goal. And we've been in this series now for, I think this is week five of this series. If you, if you don't count revival, we've been in this series called Culture Wins. And essentially what we've been trying to do is, is share our core values of what we want to be, who we want to be as a church, and, and what is going to be the, the guiding uh, principles that kind of mark who we are as Muncie First Church. And, and to kind of show you where we've been, if you'd put that slide up, this is kind of a, uh, we've been using this illustration of the, of the wagon wheel or the wheel with the spoke. And the idea is that we, we said early on in this series that Jesus has to be at the center. We want to put Jesus at the center of everything we do. And if we're going to do something here at Muncie First Church and Jesus is going to be at the center of it, then we shouldn't do it. The answer should be no. No, we're not going to do that because it's not about Jesus. And so we want to make everything we do about Jesus. And then we said that in, in week two, we talked about the idea of trying to remember what it was now, now that I'm thinking it out loud, I can't remember. Do you remember? I think that was week three, but we talked about less is more. The idea that, oh, I know what it was. It came to me just now. We can't do life alone. Never do life alone. And the idea in that sermon was simply that, that we are called to be community people. We are, we are created for community, to be in community with one another. And that when we try to do life alone, it never goes well. It never goes well. I mean, think of all the things that you've done in your life and you tried to do it by yourself and you're just thinking, man, I wish I had help right now. I wish there was somebody here to go through this with me. It's always better when we do life together. And then we talked about less is more. And the whole idea behind that was simply that in life and in church, if we would do less things, we could accomplish more. We could, we could do more actually by doing less, which I know doesn't, make any sense at all you're like ah, that doesn't make any sense what do you mean it means that we can do the things that we do the few things that we do we do them better when we're doing less and today or sorry and then last week we talked about the idea that we need to be a teacher student which really begins this whole idea of the next like four things we're going to talk about today included the idea that we are to be disciples and simply meaning that we need to be pouring into somebody else and we need to have somebody pouring into us. You can't pour into somebody else if you don't have somebody refilling you and pouring into you. It doesn't work. Eventually you will run empty and you will have nothing left to give anyone else if you're not being poured into as well. And so that is kind of where we have come to. And today I want to introduce to you our fifth core value, which is this idea that we multiply by invitation. We multiply by invitation. And this idea that we have developed a strategy within the church to simply say, hey, we're gonna just hide and wait for them to come and find us has been a huge detriment to our ability to grow as a church. See, I think we keep playing sardines. We keep playing sardines and saying, hey, uh, we got this great thing going on on Sunday morning. We got this good church. We got a great band. I don't know if you guys noticed today, but my goodness, it was amazing. It was amazing, yes. And we got this great thing about Jesus, and we're trying to love people, but it's like we're hiding. We're over here, getting behind. We don't want nobody to know we're over here. And that's not what we've been called to do. How many of you are familiar with the movie Field of Dreams? What's the, what's the, the famous line from that movie? yes if you build it they will come see i think that's been the strategy of the church as well we've said hey if we just build a building or we get some cool stuff and i'm all about cool stuff i love cool stuff they will come But the reality is is there are so many people in our community in our world that don't even know we're out here i've been here five years this december and it is amazing how many times I've had conversations with people. When they ask what I do, it's always interesting. I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. Where do where you pastor at? I going to make sure I don't say anything inappropriate. You know, it's like they're afraid to be real. But then, then I tell them I'm at Muncie First Church. The one by, the, by Meyer with all the geese and the pond. They're like, oh, man, I didn't even know that was a church. I mean... Or, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't know that yeah, was out there. I thought they were, you know, every now and then you'll catch somebody who thought we were somewhere else or thought we were somebody else, you know. And it's like, no, no, just follow the geese, the trail of geese, you, you know. And, and, and it's amazing that we have operated for so long with this idea, if we just build it, they will show up. But that doesn't work anymore. And I believe with all my heart that I don't think that was ever the intention of Jesus or of the early church for us to just wait on people to find us. To sit out here in our pews every week and wait for lost people to realize on a Sunday morning when they wake up, oh man, I should probably go to church today. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And I don't know about you, but I don't think Jesus died on a cross so that you and I would have something to do on Sunday morning. Let that sink in for just a second we could find something to do on Sunday morning if we were really desperate. Sleep in, go get breakfast. You know, I don't think Jesus died, so we'd just have another activity for Sunday morning. And here's the twist. If you fall asleep, you get nothing else out of this sermon, you just ignore me or whatever, at least get this idea right here. Get this, don't, don't miss this. I think that there is a false belief among Christians and among the church uh, that has, has held us back, that our faith should be private, that we should keep what God does to ourselves in, in our own heart and in our own mind. But the reality is, is this. What God has done in you is not just for you. What, let me say it a couple of times, because this is like, if you get this, you can just leave now, we can say amen. What God has done in you is not just for you. It's not just for you. It's not for you to hide and like keep all tucked away and like, you know, like a memento that we keep under the bed, you know, in a, in a photo album or whatever. It's not just for you. In fact, I think that God has done stuff in us and through us and for us so that we can share it with other people so that we can take it out into our workplace and in our communities and in our, you know, our kids' volleyball groups and softball and, and baseball and basketball and wherever we go, and we can share what God has done in us with those people who don't know anything about God. That's, that is our calling. That is our duty as Christians. The work that God has done in us is not just for us. In fact... I think it should motivate us to invite others on the journey with us. See, I don't know about you, but we oftentimes buy into this myth that our faith should be private. That is a a myth that Satan has used to trick us in our culture. In fact, I think our culture believes that anything religious or spiritual or anything like that is meant To be kept private. In fact, your truth is your truth, and you just keep it to yourself, and I'll keep my truth to myself, and we'll all go on and be happy and love each other, and it'll be great. The reality is is that's not what Jesus called us to do. And I want to share this morning from Mark chapter 2. If you want to turn there, Um, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2. And and something significant I want to point out before we get there. Um, Mark chapter 2. I don't know how I missed this, but Mark is significant because it is the retelling. Sorry, I can't help myself. That's a good song. Mark is the retelling of Peter's experience with Jesus. The Apostle Peter, Peter who, who denied Jesus three times, who, who walked with Jesus, who, who saw Jesus hung on a cross and saw him die and saw him buried in a tomb and then saw him rise three days later. It's his telling of those events and Mark documents it. And I think it's interesting to note that the reason it's probably so short is because Peter was a fisherman, uneducated, Probably didn't know how to read, most, like, most likely didn't know how to write. And he is telling this story, and it is significant. The reason the gospel of Mark is significant is because it is the retelling of someone's eyewitness account of what Jesus did. That's why it's in the scriptures. It's, Mark is in our Bible, and it is significant because it was an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And this is what he says. Verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to break this up a little bit and make some comments. He says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. He had come home. They gathered in such a large number, in such large numbers, that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. I want to stop for a second point out a couple things here. He's come to Capernaum again. He's come home again. There's a couple of things we need to not miss here. Capernaum for Jesus was kind of like a home base in the northern region of where he would travel and preach and do his ministry. This was like a, 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 a base of operations, if you will, for when he was in this region of the world and he'd come home. Now, home, it was not his, his home. It was most likely Peter's home. Was his house, Peter and Andrew. And sometime before this, there's, there's, I mean, as you read it, you kind of get the idea that he's been here before. This is not the first time he's been there. He's been there before. And we know uh, from scholars and, and other things that Jesus had healed Peter's mother in law, probably in this very home, which many scholars believe that's why uh, Peter denied him three times. Nobody got that. Oh my. Because he healed his mother in law. Hello. My mother-in-law is not here today, so I can say that. Just kidding. Catch, catch up now. But they're at Peter and Andrew's house. And they've gathered together. They're in this place. And if you can imagine what it would be like. I mean, I get the idea that maybe Jesus was here wanting to take a little bit of a break. Wanting to get a little bit of a rest. And they have, I mean, when you come home, what do you do? You want to kick your shoes off, you know, and relax, you know, enjoy yourself for a minute, you know. And he's come home again, and he is bombarded by people. There are so many people here that they have filled this little house. If you can imagine what the house would have been like, it was probably a one-room house with a thatched roof. It was just basically mud and other things that they could smash together and make a roof out of. And they're in this, it's not fancy, there's nothing cool about this house at all it's very simple and it is so full of people that literally there are people outside they can't even get in the door is blocked this is jesus you know home time he's trying to have a place of peace and it's so full and in this day and age uh how would you like this if you came home and just left your door open that meant just come on in guests are welcome i mean that'd be a Rough Saturday, you wake up and forget that. and Oh, shoot, we left the door open. You know, and next thing you know, you got like 30 neighbors coming in and they just think it's time to hang out. You know, and that, that, was, that was how it worked. And that day, if you come home and you just open the door, I mean, we're ready for guests, bring them on. And so they must have done that because Jesus is there and it's just filling up with people. And then we see this, verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man. Carried by four of them. Carried by four of them. Now I I don't know exactly how this probably went down, but I'm assuming that they're carrying this man, and that's pretty laborious to carry somebody who's paralyzed. And they're they're kind of bringing him in, carrying him on a mat, and they bring him, and they realize that there's a line out the door to see Jesus. How many of you like waiting in lines? Yeah. Oh, one, one. You know, that's I loathe lines. Lines are like the pit of hell for me. I I remember specifically one time we were at 4th of July celebration at uh, at Gas City. We were there to see the fireworks and I I started to get dehydrated and didn't feel well. And I was waiting in line for a lemon shake-up. I would have like done anything for a lemon shake-up that night. And you know you start to get sick and I was just like oh man I was just like I was going to die. I'm just like leaned over like this in line. People probably think I got some sort of terrible disease or something, you know. And and I'm just like I'll do anything. Lines, man. Just waiting in that line was like if Jesus, if you would come back right now and deliver me. I- I'll do anything you ask. Please, just just deliver me from this, you know. And and it was and, and I can imagine that that's probably what these guys are feeling. They're you know, they're carrying this guy and they're bringing him up and they get there and it's like we got to wait in line. And then it says this, verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Notice, they didn't say it out loud. They're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. I want to stop there for just a second. You can leave that up. But I want to point something out here. This, I was working on this message this week or a week ago, and, and it just I kept reading this verse, and this, this just kept coming back to me over and over. And I'm sure that there's more, uh, some more significance here than what I'm going to give uh, in, in what I'm about to say. But I think this is so huge. Notice in verses... Uh, 10, and then 11. It says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He, he heals this man. He forgives this man of his sins. A very spiritual, invisible act by doing something very physical. Something that they could all see. This, this, this just blew my mind. Why does he do that? Because what God was doing in this man was not just for this man. It was for everybody else that was in that room today, that day. It was everybody else that would have seen what he was doing. It was so significant that he not just forgive this man's sins because they didn't see that. I mean, they heard it. There was people there speculating and saying, why is this man able to do this? How is he able to do it? And he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And how am I going to do it? By healing this man physically in front of all of you. I feel like there's more there. And we could probably talk about that for another hour. But I won't. I just, for, for, for our benefit, it wasn't just for him. It wasn't just for him. It was for everyone else that was there too. And then we read this last verse. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. Meaning they all saw it. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have seen, or sorry, we have never seen anything like this. Never seen anything like this. Have you ever seen anything in your life that you would say, man, I've never seen anything like that. You're just like amazed. Your mind is blown. You're like, I can't believe that just happened. That was them in this moment. And what's crazy about this is is if it wasn't for these four men who carried this man to Jesus, this is just an average day. I mean, as far as we know, this could have been just an average day. Just totally insignificant. But what makes this moment amazing is that these four men felt the need, they felt compelled to take their friend to Jesus. Why would they do this? I want to propose to you that they probably sat in a house very much just like this one, maybe this very same house, and heard Jesus preach before. And they sat there and they listened to Him and they were gripped by His message. They were blown away. It was as if they'd never seen anything like this before and they were completely amazed by what God was doing in this moment. And they were so compelled... And so changed that they had to go and find somebody to tell them about it. And it just so happened to be this paralyzed man that they went and they got. And it was like they had to, they couldn't even just, hey, I'll see you Sunday at church. You know, you drive your car, I'll drive my car, we'll be there. You know, it was no. We had to literally pick him up and carry him, all four of us. It took four of us. And I wonder if there wasn't even more of them. And they were like taking turns. Because, I mean, a guy... <laughs> It takes four guys to carry him. That's probably heavy, you know. You get a, need a break every now and then, you know. And then they get him there. And it's, it's crazy. It's so packed. They're like, we need him to see Jesus. What are we going to do? I got an idea. Let's cut a hole in Peter's roof. He won't be mad. We'll explain to him later it was all for Jesus, right? I mean, Peter was a fisherman. I imagine he had some words to say about you cutting a hole in my roof. You know, I, I just... But they go so far that they say, this is so significant, this is so important that this man has an encounter with Jesus that we're going to cut a hole in this roof. It is their faith in action that resulted in this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. See, I think... The reason that we often don't see things like this happen in our own gathering and in our own midst is that it is so rare for us to be compelled enough to go off and share with somebody else what God is doing because we've been conditioned, again, to keep it private, to keep it in, to to not let others in and see what God is doing. In fact, I think that we're so conditioned, we keep not only our faith private, but our experiences outside of church, just life experiences in general, our struggles, our failures, and even our successes. Because it's like, well, I don't want to be prideful. You know, I don't want to be lording how successful I am over you. But who knows? Maybe God could use that in someone else's life. See, I think this faith community and other faith communities like this one operate best when we share. In fact, it says in Acts, Luke documents this idea that in Acts that... that um, The faith community was one in heart when they shared everything, even their possessions. And we're going to talk about that next week. But uh, they they were one in heart. The community was at its best when they were sharing. And that's not just like, you know, like we teach our kindergartners and our kids. You got to share your stuff now, you know, which I mean, that's a challenge in itself. But this is this is us adults saying we're going to share what God is doing in us. With others. And that is how we grow, Muncie First Church. We invite others on the journey with us and we share with them. We will multiply by invitation when we invite others on the journey with us. That's why we believe this should be one of our core values, one of our core principles. It's this this idea that we multiply by invitation because God has called us, this is part of us being a disciple, to go and invite others on the journey with us. We're called to invite others. And I think that what happens is that we multiply our reach, our effectiveness, our power to change the community of Muncie. When we invite others, when we invite others to serve at blood and fire ministries, when we invite others to serve at secret families, or we invite others to serve at whatever we're doing, or when we invite others to come and gather on a Sunday morning, when we invite others to be a part of a small group gathering, maybe because they're just not comfortable with coming into church, but they know you and they might feel comfortable being in your house and having a meal, and we invite them, and they come and they take part in what we do. And see, not only does this grow us as a church community, but it grows us personally. It grows us personally. I want to read one more text to you, and then we'll kind of apply this and, and, and finish up here. John chapter one, verse 43 through 49, says this. This is John documenting an encounter that Jesus has with a man named Philip. It says then "The ne- the next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Don't miss this. Philip had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life so much so that he felt compelled to go and tell Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was skeptical. Like many of us have been in our lives and many of the people that we interact with in a a given day, you know, that we might tell about Jesus, they're skeptical. They're like, I don't know about that. Can anything good come from Muncie First Church? You know, can anything good come from Muncie? Can anything good come from this whole Jesus thing? I don't know. What does he say? Come and see. Just come and see. He doesn't try to convince him. He doesn't try to do anything. All he says is come and see for yourself. And then Nathaniel goes and he has his own experience with Jesus. And his life is forever changed. All Philip did was invite. He just said, hey, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and have this encounter. He didn't say, he didn't get his Bible out and go, you know, it says in Romans, you know, this, this, that if you don't do this, and you're, you know, you're gonna burn in hell. Or he didn't, he didn't say, he didn't take him through a track. He didn't tell him about how anything. All he did was say, come and see for yourself. Come and find out what this Jesus thing is all about. And see, that's our job to say, come and see. And then we just let Jesus do what Jesus does best. Which has changed people's lives. So I think that our job is to say, Come and see, and maybe we can even pull a line from, from Andy Stanley, and I like this. I've been trying to use this in my own life and simply just say, You know, I believe that following Jesus will make your life better, and it'll make you better at life. And that's pretty simple. I believe, and, and you know what? It doesn't mean life's gonna be easy, doesn't mean things are gonna always go perfect. But it just simply means that life will be better and it will make you better at life. And you know what? If you're here this morning and you say, I'm not even a Christian. I don't believe any of this. That's okay. You can still live out the, the teachings of Jesus and not believe any of it. And it will still make you better at life and make your life better. Amen? I mean, even if you don't believe it. It's just true. And so I want to answer two quick questions as we close this morning. And I think there are either things that maybe you're asking or things that we should ask as we think about this content. And the first one is, is how do we grow by invitation? What does that even mean? Like if we're going to grow, how are we going to grow? Well, I think it begins that we grow by number. When you invite people here, we will grow by number. It's simple addition. You know, one more in here plus one more in here means we are growing. And the church is called to grow. I think that we have been told by culture and by other churches that aren't growing to feel bad when we grow. Like it's not spiritual or like it's not godly. And the truth is, is read Acts. Read the book of Acts. There are at least nine examples of where Luke and the writer of Acts says, the church grew by number. We are called to grow by number. It is an indicator of our health spiritually. Because it is an indicator of your health spiritually on whether you're being a disciple and inviting people to church. We are called to grow. Secondly, we grow in faith when we invite others. I'm going to be honest. Inviting people to church can be challenging. And it will test your faith. It will test your faith. Because it will be uncomfortable. And you'll probably have a moment where someone shoots you down that's okay, that's okay. Just keep trucking, you know, just keep trying. Just keep at it. And through that, your faith will grow. And I think, thirdly, through that, we grow in our confidence of what God has done in us. Because a part of that is knowing our own story, knowing our own experience, knowing what God has done in us. And when we invite others, we grow in confidence of what God has done. Because we're telling that story and we're engaging with someone and saying, hey, you need to come and see because look what God did in me. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, sorry. (laughs) You know, uh, I mean, you grow in confidence of who God is because you're telling that story over and over as you tell. And this is when we engage, when we engage in this practice, we are ultimately fulfilling the call from Jesus to be a disciple. That's part of what it means to be a disciple as, as Mark talked about last week. And then the final question is this. Somehow we skipped something. That's all right. It may not be on the slide. How do we invite? How do we invite? Which I think this might be the biggest question of all. How do you invite your friends to church? How do you invite people that don't come here to come here? Well, I think it starts with loving them. Actually, let let me rephrase that. It's good that it's not up there. I think it starts with praying for them. First, pray for them. But then you've got to love them. Because if you're telling them to come to church and hear about a God that loves them, but you don't love them, just forget about it. (laughs) Just stop. In fact, don't invite, if you're not going to love them, don't promise me you will not invite anybody to church. Please don't. In fact, don't even tell them you're a Christian. Because we don't want that message to get out that Christians aren't loving. Because it's already out there. It's already destroyed our influence in the world. And so may that not be true of Muncie First Church followers of Jesus. We love people. Even if they're gay, black, white, brown, green, Republican, Democrat. What, believe what we believe. Don't believe what we believe. Baptist, Methodist. We love Them. We love them. That's step number one. If you don't get that, don't worry about the rest. But step two is you got to tell them. We tell them. We tell them our story. We tell them what God did in us. We tell them how Jesus has changed our lives. And by doing so, we are doing what Philip did and saying, hey, come and see. We're engaging in our testimony. And sharing that with them. And then, third, we ask them. You gotta ask them eventually. Al was telling us, he met with our small group on on Friday night, and he said, eventually, you gotta ask. An invitation to church is a big ask. Gotta be careful how you say that. It's a big ask with a K. It's a big ask. But, but, it is life changing. It's life-changing. And eventually, you'll have to work up the courage to ask somebody to come, to invite them. To just trust that, you know what, at the end of the day, even if they say no, you're still going to go to work tomorrow, and it's going to be okay. But I'm going to take that step of faith, and I'm going to say, hey, would you come to church with me this week? And then lastly, which is key, you got to go with them. We go with them. We've got to go with them. And that may mean several things. That may mean you literally go and pick them up and drive them to church. It may mean that you wait at the doors and you wait for them to show up and you walk in with them and sit with them. Or it means you you take them out to lunch afterwards and you pay, you buy and tip really good. And you love them and you just participate in life with them. But another aspect of this that I don't think we we can miss out on is that when we go with them, that means that we as a church collectively are saying we are going to be ready for when you invite friends and people to church. We're going to make sure that this place is ready. That we're ready for when they come in, that we're going to greet them with a smile and say, hey, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Here, let me let me take you to the best seat in the sanctuary. Let me sit in the and I'm going to sit with you. And then we have good coffee. Because I mean what else I mean is life without good coffee. You right? Or good tea. You know and a donut. And that we have great children's ministry environments and great nursery environments so that parents, when they come in here, they feel safe putting their kids in there and and they know that, you know what, they're going to be okay while I worship and while I encounter Jesus. And that they have children's ministry environments where they're going to learn about Jesus. we got to do our part to go with them and be ready for when they come here. May we do that, church. So... This morning, this is my challenge to you. I want to challenge you with this. Who is the one person or two people in your life that you need to go on this journey with? That you need to begin to pray for and love and tell and ask and go. That you would pray for them, you would love them, you would tell them your story, you would ask them to come and then you'd go with them. Who is that person? Maybe some of us have five, six people that we're thinking of, but I think most of us probably have at least one. And so what I want you to do this morning is Nathan is gonna play and lead us in a song. I'd like you to do a couple things. I'd like you to begin the process of praying for them. Begin to pray for them. Maybe that's here at your seat or at the altar or wherever. Maybe you just gather around. If it's a family thing, and you'd gather around as a family and begin the process of praying for that person. But then to make it applicable, I want to challenge you, if you didn't take notes in your bulletin this week, in the sermon notes section, write their name down. And when you get home, maybe rip that part out and just carry it in your pocket for a week. So that person's name would just constantly, every time you reach in your pocket, you'd be like, oh, what's this? Oh, it's not trash. Oh, it's, it's so-and-so's name and I need to pray for them. And I need to remember to love them and then I need to tell them and ask them and go. And may we begin this process. So let's stand together. And we'll sing, and and I really do encourage you, take this moment to pray for whoever that one person is.
1: Face down in the desert Now there's a cage locked around my heart I found a way to drop the keys Where my fears you were Now my hands can't reach that far I ain't made for a robbery I can never take the world alone Know that in my weakness I am strong It's your love that brings me home Brother, let me be your shame When you're low, brother, let me be your fortress. When the night winds are driving on, be the one to light the way, bring you home. Brother, let me be your shelter, never leave you all alone. I can be the one you call when you're low. Brother, let me be your fortress When the night winds are driving on Be the one to light the way Bring you
0: home Yeah, man. I didn't know you were going to do that song. Do you know that loneliness is like one of the number one epidemics in our culture? People feel lonely. If they, have, they connect on social media. We're more connected than we've ever been in, all, in the history of the world. And yet people are still lonely. And I say that because I think about this song and the line. that, Brother, n- never leave them all alone. May we go into all of this world, as Jesus said, and reach people for Jesus. May we come alongside people who are lonely and all alone, who are trying to do life by themselves and they cannot figure it out. They're literally just treading water and it's like the world is just throwing them bricks while they're doing it. May we go in and start to grab those bricks and be like Jesus and say, hey, I'm here. Let me help you get out of this mess. Let me help you Deal with your teenager that you want to strangle right now because they don't listen to you. Let me help you, young mom who's dealing with a baby that hasn't slept in like six months and you're struggling. Let me help you, married couple who fight every day and you don't really ever say anything kind to each other at all. You just kind of pass each other like roommates as you go into life. Let me help you. Let me walk alongside of you. May we do that, church. May that be true of who we are. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for today, God. I pray that as we leave this place, as we go into the world, that we would make a difference. That we would be like Philip. That we would say, come and see what this Jesus thing is all about. May we be like the four men who who literally carried the man to come and see you. Give us the strength. Give us the courage, God. Give us the heart that breaks for the things that break your heart. And may we... Begin the process with somebody in our lives. Lord, if we don't know who that is yet, identify who that person needs to be that we would pray for, that we would love, that we would tell and we would ask and we would go with them. Help us to do this, Jesus. Be bold in our faith and trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being here, church. Don't forget to get your kids if they're in children's church.